Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Let me move this back a little so we get the full. All right, a little more. I'm at my regular place to give the class, so <clears throat> hope all will come down well. All right. So today, um, first of all, I want to welcome myself back to the grid. I've been off the grid for a while. And um, and I've been receiving so many questions. Why am I silent? Why am I quiet? I, I just, there's a, um, I had a, my son got married and traveling, and last week I had extra traveling for another simple bar session. I just didn't get a chance to really sit down and clear my head and uh, share my thoughts. Obviously, the world right now is uh, in total chaos, and um, lots of people are confused, and I'm confused as well. Which, uh, and yet, within the confusion, you have to have clarity. So I'm, I'm going to try to share some of what is clear to me, although I, I cannot um, tell you that I know what's going on because... I'm not a prophet, and only the Abishter uh, will reveal and reveals to his prophets what's going on. But there are certain things that are, are definite and are sure, which I could share, which I think will have a calming effect on many people, and perhaps uh, help us all, help you, help my, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to myself too, to shift our attitudes and focus on what needs to be focused on, and bring ourselves to a state of happiness and joy instead of confusion and and fear and um and uh, maybe sadness so um here we go first of all today's class was dedicated um by mrs miriam fishman she actually dedicated a class like about a week and a half ago for her husband oliver shalom ramosha fishman he used to come up always to our center um, it was other, which was a week ago. Um, but uh, well, I didn't get a chance to do a share, so this dedication should be literally retroactively for his yard site. Moshe Ben Yaakov, Allah Hashalom, may Hashem have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he join us back down here, cut of Mamish with the coming of Mashiach. We should see him here soon. Okay. Anybody else that wants to donate a class? Please uh, go to our website, Mayon, M A or sponsor a class, M A A Y O N dot com. And from Mayon.com, you can find how to sponsor a share. Okay, thank you so much. All right, so this week um, is, is a double, it's a, it's, it's a one Torah portion, which is Pasha Zuchler, but it's also an extra reading because we read. The reading of Pasha Zacher. I still don't like the position of the camera. Okay, here we go. We read Pasha Zacher. Zacher is a special reading that is the only reading in the that we are biblically um, that we are responsible or obligated from a biblical commandment to hear that reading. Once a year, we have to eradicate um, Amalek. We have to hear what the what the nation of Amalek has done to us. And God says a war against Amalek from generation to generation. That means until the, time, the coming of Mashiach, there will be a constant war, and it affects the, the spiritual cosmic order. It, 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 it affects 
the entire channel of the divine to the world so much that until Amalek is not eradicated from the world, we cannot, God cannot manifest himself um, completely in the world. So much so that Hashem says that his own name and his own throne is incomplete until the eradication of Amalek from the world. I am not going to speak about Amalek as a nation. Um, many people try to figure out who Amalek is. Amalek is obviously a force of evil and darkness that incarnates itself also in a physical certain people that are the inheritors of Amalek. I'm not going to try to guess that and figure that out, who and what, and especially in this case, to say these are Amalek or those are Amalek. That's not what we're going to be doing in today's class. What I will be doing, at least at the beginning of the class, before we before we speak about current events, is that we cannot even begin to talk about the events and bring ourselves to a proper state of mind and to, to be able to react appropriately until we first deal with the seeds of Amalek that is planted into each and every one of us. The reason why God tells us to fight Amalek, even though we don't have an identifiable nation today, that we can say that these are the Amalekites, like it was in the days of King Saul, that Shmuel, Samuel, Shmuel Anavi told uh, King Saul, go out and wage war against Amalek, physically eradicate Amalek. Um, today's days, we don't have that. So why do we have to read it every day? And the purpose of the reading is to arouse upon ourselves a wrath and an anger so we can eradicate Amalek when there's nobody to eradicate because we don't know and we're forbidden to arm a human being, say he's Amalek because we don't know who's Amalek. So because, and that's because it also applies to an, an idea. Amalek is a certain force, it's a certain energy, and that creeps into each and every one of us and causes us to suffer, and us not to be able to um, connect to Hashem and to our purpose and to who we are and what we are in the right way. So we have to eradicate our own Amalek, and therefore I believe that as, as an introduction to today's class, if we don't identify the Amalek inside of us and full force blast it, then there's no purpose of listening to this class because even if I tell you and even if I can get you excited and even if I can try to get myself excited about the awesome moments that we're standing right now, Amalek will come and defuse that excitement or maybe not even allow us to even get excited in the first place because that's what Amalek is. Amalek is a certain impurity, a certain klippa, it's a certain what we call Yetzahara, it's a certain evil inclination that speaks from within each and every one of us, and it basically laughs off any kind of um, godly inspiration. In other words, even when we see clearly, for instance, right now, we're watching a world in where there have been in the last few years consecutive, consecutive events that completely stun the mind events that don't make any sense at all to the human to the human mind all these things that we're going to speak soon that we did not see coming surprises one surprise after another surprise and obviously when we see these surprises especially since as i've spoken so many i haven't been speaking so much recently but before that we've been talking about how the timing is unbelievable we've reached the the, the, the tough shimpeis, we read the 5780s, 8 is the number of Mashiach, we're two years, and this is exactly the last two years from when we hit the 8s, um, that's when the world started going bonkers. And it's one after another, event after event. So we see clearly 
that the the shofar of Mashiach is blowing very loudly. It might not be a sound of a shofar that we're, you know, the Rosh Hashanah shofar, the ram's horn, but it's basically an announcement where God is is giving us sign after sign after sign that momentarily, literally, he is going to reveal himself and his glory across the entire world. And um, that little voice that's inside of us, even when it sees it happening, laughs it off and says, ah, maybe not. We've seen wild things happening in the past. The Jewish people have experienced greater horrors or scarier things and, and, and Mashiach didn't come. So who says Mashiach is coming now? And uh, maybe the, the, you know every single one of these could be explained. The virus is just a natural virus that came about because of some whatever, whatever you're going to blame the virus for to find some kind of a natural excuse for that global pandemic. And then you'll say that this Ukrainian situation is just because of whatever other spin that is causing this, uh, this to happen and uh, the various other shocking things that happen, each one could be explained away in a natural way. That's the job. Now, if we have these thoughts and therefore we dismiss the fact that it's God who is now literally in the driver's seat, he's always in the driver's seat, but he, uh, throughout the exile, he allows us to think that we are driving, we are in the driver's seat because he's concealed. But when it comes to the Mashiach time, God openly manifests that he's in control and he's playing the last, the last uh, movements on that chessboard. We're already holding by checkmate at the last, last movements. And uh, yep, but Amalek, can, wait, wait, what was Amalek the first time? When the Jews went out of Egypt, after we watched the 10 plagues, and after we watched the splitting of the sea, and everybody in the entire world stood with awe and with dread because everybody recognized that there is a boss, there is a creator who is running the show, who transcends nature, and he has chosen the Jewish people and has chosen to give the world the Torah, give the Jewish people the Torah. Um, Amalek comes and just laughs and snickers and says, big deal, I'm not impressed. Who says? And explains the splitting of the, of the sea with some kind of an explanation of low tide and high tide, and it just happens to be that moment. All kinds of what Amalek does. He's an expert in diffusing the excitement. And that's why the meaning of Amalek is Asher Karcha, as the verse says. Amalek says, the verse says, Asher Karcha Baderech. Karcha means he made you cold. One of the meanings. Actually, there's three interpretations to the word karcha that we're going to speak about. Uh, and in this order, karcha means he made you cold. From the word kar, kar means cold. The second meaning to the word karcha is from the word um, mikra. Mikra means just a occurrence. Happens tense, I think it's the word, I'm not sure. Where you look at events which are clearly being controlled by forces that are hidden and concealed. It means it's forces, it's clearly a divine act. It's not, it doesn't make any sense based on all kinds of other predictions. And yet the the um, uh, the, the 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 meaning of Asha of Mikra means one says it just happened. There's no meaning behind it. There is no um, direct um, cause that has a specific purpose and a mission in, 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 in that which happened for a specific, uh, you know, godly interest. It's just another, what we might say, freak accident that happened. 
In other words, the denying of what's called Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence. And this happens both cosmically, when very big global events happen, and also when it comes to individual events. Sometimes a person witnesses a series of events or one event that was so clearly the, word, the divine providence, that God is so clearly evident in this person's, his or her individual life, or when we're looking at the world as a whole and we're seeing the world is being led through events after events, which is clearly God is, is pulling the strings and taking and doing everything. And one says, as we said earlier, mikra from the word karcha comes from the word mikra. Mikra means it just happened. So again, the first meaning of the word karcha is from the word kar. It means cold. When you're getting excited, he cools you off. The first coolness is even at the first moment that happens, you, you, we all feel it's God. We all feel it's, it's God. We see something like so, so incredible. The first reaction, because God is really embedded in our beings. So the first reaction, this must be God, before the mind starts playing games. But then the mind starts to cool you off. And before he even gives you an explanation, just says, relax, relax. <laughs> You're not going to change your life right now. You're not going to start preparing for Mashiach in a serious way. Because, you know, it might not be so quickly. You know, it might not be tomorrow. You might have still some time. See, before he gives you much arguments, he just wants to cool you up. But then cooling is not good and not enough because you gotta, he's got to back up the argument to cool the excitement. Because you have... You know, in your mind, you're saying to yourself, well, I just witnessed a clear communication. God just communicated with me. I just saw something so clear where God is calling my name. And he's saying Yankel, he's saying Chayim, he's saying Moshe, he's saying Esther, he's saying Chana, he's saying Jack, <laughs> Bob, whatever your name is. He's calling to you. And he's saying, here, I'm talking to you. I want I want you to wake up. I want you to get ready and prepared to greet me. And to, and, and to, 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 to uh, I don't want to, I don't want you to be caught as you say, with your pants down, when when at the at this incredible moment, you want to be ready to receive. You don't want to be caught in our pajamas. You want to be caught. I want I want you to be ready, and I want you to feel joy and happiness the moment I come. And you know, you did your part to welcome me in. So when Hashem says that to us, and Hashem is giving us those messages, and and and, and we and we have a a reason that God said that to me. So now I need a counter argument. So what's the counter argument? I begin to deny, and not I, we shouldn't, none of us should do it, but the second meaning of karfa. Karfa means you start explaining that that which the event, which seems to have been clearly an act of God, you start play, play, placing doubts if it was really an act of God. And that's why, by the way, it's not hinted in the word karfa, but it's also in the hinted to in the word amalek, because the gematria, the numeric value of the word amalek which is 240, is also the gematria of the word suffix. Suffix means doubt. He, he throws doubts. Maybe not. Prove it to me. Give me scientific proof that it was God that did it. That's it. He wants scientific proof. 100 suffix, uh, suffix is 180 plus 60 is 240. Amalek is 240. So how does Amalek challenge and keep a person cool, cool and not excited? And not and not and not uh, you know not on fire for for holiness for godliness. How does he cool you off by casting doubts in divine providence? 
and that's the second meaning of the word karcha, he says it's mikre. Mikre means just happened. COVID just happened. The world is now at a brink of nuclear war. Just happened. You know, Miran, 45 Jews last year, we're celebrating my Omer. Just happened to die. You know, just happened. Surfside in Miami, a building came down out of nowhere. Happens to be with so many Jews being over there. It just happened. And so on and so on and so forth. Everything is just, it's, it's just happening. There, 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 there's no, it, this is not a clear sign from God that, that he's about to, to reveal himself. So that's the second interpretation of the word karfa. And finally, the last interpretation of the word karfa. Again, what's the word karfa? God says, remember what Amalek did to you? Asher karfa. He karfa'd you. So we get already two explanations of the word karfa. He cooled you and he um, and he uh, denied Ashkacha Pratis, divine providence. And now we get to the third one, karchas from the word keri. And keri means a certain impurity. It makes us impure. Because once we're not excited about God, then we get then we can God forbid the Yetzahara then has full range to get us excited about all kinds of unholy things which leads us to impurity. So these are the three, the way Amalek causes Chas V'Shalom, a Jew, to slip and to fall and to become disconnected. Now, when does Amalek go into full gear? When does he really, really fight? When he knows that we would get, that we are ready to make a change in our life. When he knows that we are ready to move and connect to God on the deepest, highest level, and when, he, and, and when it's a pivotal moment in history, that's when Amalek is unleashed in the world to try to counter the powerful divine influence. So, for instance, when the Jews went out of Egypt, it was such an incredible moment, and we were ready to go to Sinai and accept the Torah. It's between the splitting of the sea and the giving of the Torah at Sinai, right in the midst of it all, the other side has to be given a chance to fight back, and who's the agent that it uses to fight back? It uses this notion of chutzpah of, of like a cooling off arguments that have really no basis it's just plain brazen casting of doubts and laughing things off and that's what Amalek does in order to lead us to impurity so it's harder for us to receive the Torah and so just like he did it then he does it in the final at the final moments of history by the coming of Mashiach more than any other time that's why it says in the Targum when God says in, in Parshas B'Shalach, we're going to read this on Purim. We're not going to read this these, uh, on the Shabbos. The Shabbos before Purim, we're going to read the Parshas Kiseitze, where God tells us to remember what Amalek did. But this verse that I'm reading now, um, it, it, we read it on Purim. Because the whole theme of Purim is, a war, is the war and the eradication of Amalek, because Haman was a descendant of Amalek as well. So over here it says, and Hashem says, God swears, God puts a hand on his own throne. Muhammad Hashem Bamalik, a war against Amalek, Midardah from generation to generation. So who are these generations? Midar, the first generation is Midar the Al Madain from this world. I mean primarily it was at the time when that happened, the time of of, of, of the giving of the Torah, the time when they went out of Egypt. And the, the second time when it says Dar, Midar the Mashikhan. It's for the generation of the coming of Mashiach, Umedar the Alma the Asi, and the future gen and the future world. So Amalek is specifically connected to the coming of Mashiach, 
and tries to, he gets very active right before the coming of Mashiach. Now, this, we have to realize that Amalek is so detrimental, it's so antithetical to who we are as Jews. Because Amalek is coldness. Coldness is death. You know, how we should never have to feel if someone is alive or dead. But one of the first signs to feel if a body is alive or dead is to see if it's cold. Life is warmth. When something is alive, then, their body, then that, that life creates warmth. And Amalek is cold. Kar, shakarcha, coldness. And who is a Jew? A Jew is fire. The identity of a Jew is fire. Because the essence of our, of our Jewish soul is a spark of God. And Hashem, Keshem God is a burning, consuming fire. God is not defined by anything, but the Torah defines divine presence as a burning fire. And therefore, our connection to Hashem through our soul is through fire, through passion, through excitement, through, uh, through really a, a certain madness, a madness that even transcends logic and reason. The mind is always a little cool and a little calculated. But we have to get excited beyond our mind. That's the whole idea of Purim. Purim we celebrate, we transcend our mind. That's the whole idea that we Purim we get intoxicated. We go beyond our mind because Purim is the ultimate attachment to God which calls for the fire of Mesiris Nefesh, a certain craziness. You have to become crazy. Crazy in goodness. Crazy in goodness means that no matter what, no matter what we're, you know, no matter what God throws at us, no matter what kind of confusion, no matter what kind of this, we, we are stubborn and we attach ourselves with such an essential bond that transcends all reason and logic. And that's what a Jew really is. Someone showed me a picture. One of the Chabad um, emissaries, I actually know him, Rabbi Levitansky. He's a rabbi in Yechiel Levitansky. He's a rabbi in Sumi, Ukraine. So, uh, Sumi, you see it in the news a lot. That was one of the places that the Russians have been hitting very hard in this in this in this invasion. He stayed there as long as he literally could, um, and then he, he finally had to leave because uh, you know it was a threat for his for his family, for him and his family's lives, and they left. On the way out, there was a picture. I, I don't know if he might have been already out of Ukraine. I think he was in Moldova, but here he is. With his family, I, I, from from other stories of how long it took people to go get out of a country under the dread of bombs and missiles and so on and so forth, you can imagine the panic, the fear, especially if you have a carload of little children, a full family packed, and you basically ran away, not taking any of your furniture, any of your belongings. <laughs> You're running for your life, and yet there is a picture of him somewhere on the side of the road, and he sees Israeli. Um, people that have been sent from Israel to come and for the humanitarian for the you know, humanitarian um, assistance. So their rescue workers were coming to help with the people. So he sees them, I think they're at a gas station or something, and you have pictures of him putting on filling for these people. Now go explain to a normal person. You're running with, with your family for your life. You just experienced a week of horror. You're hardly, barely escaped with your life. And you're finally moving. The kids are crazy probably already in the car for whom many hours. And what is in your head when you see someone else, not to escape, but to help another person put on tefillin? Because you know that God sent you on a mission now. And the reason for this moment that you're in this gas station 
and you meet an opportunity to be able to bring more divine light into the world through getting another person to put on the tefillin. So he puts on the tefillin with the guys. That's called madness. That's called craziness. But that's holy craziness. That's a moment of infinite energy. Over here, we're experiencing a human being connecting to God, not with the boundaries and the limitations of a human being, but on a divine level that's infinite. That's what is necessary to bring Mashiach. That is that craziness we're talking about. Mashiach is the ultimate manifestation of God in this world, of this fire of Hashem revealing himself. We have to meet fire with fire. We're talking about Rabbi Levitansky. So a few weeks ago, I read an article about him. And this tells you that, you know, if you set yourself up in a manner of craziness, in a good way, then you see that that, that becomes your base. And then you maintain it. Even under the most dire of circumstances, you don't lose it. You remain connected to Hashem. So beautifully, he, he relates that when he came to Sumi many years ago, he went to the Ukrainian, uh, to the office over there, because he wanted to become a Ukrainian citizen. He was looking for papers. And uh, so they were interviewing, they were getting his things. And they asked him, this guy used to live, his family's from Los Angeles. So they asked him, you moved here with your children from Los Angeles coming to Sumi, Ukraine, your wife and your kids. No. So they declined his, um, his uh, what was it called, his uh, application. He applied for, for Ukrainian citizenship, and they denied it. They declined it. So when he was asking them, why did they decline it? He spoke to one of the agents. So she says, one of the two. You know, you came here, she said, from Los Angeles to Sumi, Ukraine. Well, like a hick town. She says, Either one of the two, either you're a spy or you're crazy. Either way, we don't want you here, not as a spy and not as a lunatic. What in the world are you doing bringing your family from Los Angeles and moving over there? So he said he walked out of there so full of joy because the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when he sent his emissary, said that the way we're going to conquer the entire world for holiness and for God is only through lunacy. In other words, through shtus the Kedusha. We're not going to operate. We're not going to influence the entire world for goodness if we're going to take a very measured, calculated approach. We have to unleash our infinite drive to connect to God in all circumstances, even if it means endangering our lives, even if it means giving up on every comfort, even though it means being completely crazy for, for goodness. That's the idea. And that's the, that's the idea of Zohar. Remember. Remember who you are. Remember your soul. Remember your attachment to God transcends all measures and limitations. Look at your inner core. Find the fire of your soul. And through that, connect Asha. Don't forget. Once we've created already right now the space and got rid of Amalek, got rid of this false voice and this caster, caster of doubts, and question, it's a cooling element. Now we can go back <coughs> and look at current events and really gain a little perspective and without the Amalek effect. And hopefully the outcome of this is not, again, I'm not claiming, uh, uh, you know, to say that I know what we're, if you're listening to this class to get an understanding clearly of what's happening in the sense that you know exactly why Russia is invading Ukraine and what, where, and when. Um, it's a waste of time. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is give some general ideas, which I think are very apropos and very, very, very true. 
So the first one is um, the notion of what the Talmud tells us in Dav Tzadik Zayin and Masech the Sanhedrin. So in Tractate Sanhedrin, Dav Tzadik Zayin, the Talmud is talking about the events that are going to pre, that are going to happen like right before the coming of Mashiach. Amir Rabbi Yochanan, this is in Tzadik Zayin, right on the top of the page, Rabbi Yochanan says, Dor Sheben David Bo, the generation that Mashiach is coming. There's going to be a diminishment of scholars. Vashar, and when we say scholars, we don't mean just people who can say a nice, uh, give a nice YouTube video. Okay, um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are like tzaddikim, people who who have like divine knowledge, divine insight. It's not me talking, with, but probably, probably possibly because he says Vashar and Amkolis and the people that survive. Are living in that generation, their eyes are expiring, biyogain with sadness, vanocha and and vanocha um, means and krechts sighs with sadness and sighs. The tzaros rabbis and many troubles, ugezedos kashos and difficult decrees, mischatshos are re, are 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 brought about. New new decrees, things that are originate. until the first one is has left us, meaning at, even before the first trouble has completely been removed, the second one starts to move in. In other words, we're talking about a series of consequent consecutive events that are coming one after the other. And they, they don't make us feel so good. They're troublesome events. The world is hit by calamity after calamity. And we don't have the right leadership to be able to tell us clearly what's going on. And that's really the world, the Jewish world. I mean, those who know what was going on 30, 40 years ago, we had Sadiqim, we had righteous people, we had really people who had vision, who had understanding, who could see things and know things from the other side. Today's days, we're busy guessing. You know, we have books. Uh, hopefully, we can find the right answers in the books, but we don't have any more of those people that have that inside knowledge, like, the, like it describes over here. We're going to be in a state of a lack of vision, a lack of clarity. And the troubles are going to come one after another very intensely. And the interesting word that I, 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 I noticed is it says mischatres. Mischatres means like it originates out of nowhere it's coming it's a new thing and that you and as and what's the idea the fact that something new is happening means that you, you couldn't predict it is a sign that it's being sent from above it's a sign that it's being in other words we're not yet at the geula but once the geula is here there's no more trouble but one of the elements of the geula is that the time of the geula the time of the redemption is going to be divine revelation so introduction to that is that there is divine revelation, but not yet in a state of Geula, which is redemption. So the divine revelation comes in many different ways. And as the Gemara describes over here, it's coming through hardships. One after another, events that are happening that we clearly cannot blame on anything else other than the fact that God is doing these things. He's bringing upon things that are just totally um, not naturally explainable. So let's go back for a moment and look at the last period of time. And we will start with COVID. 
It really starts even before COVID, or we will start with COVID. Two years ago, literally two years ago, it was right before Purim. We started here, actually, we started here already in February that there is this illness, this COVID, this, this, this virus, and it's beginning to, you know, in Wuhan and over here and over there. Remember when people were on cruise ships, they, they locked the cruises down. People were stuck over there. The lockdown started. But in our minds, we were thinking, okay, it's over there. It's not going to hit our main metropolitans, our main cities, our main places. And then right Purim time, bang, the first COVID cases were revealed. Actually, out of all places in New York and Long Island, I think it was, or Staten Island. And before you know it, one case, another case, three cases, one case in Florida, one case over here, one case over there. Before you know it, the entire United States is covered. Italy, here, there, places are going, there's craziness. And um, the whole world goes into a state of lockdown. And many people died, many people across the world. And the whole world came to a screeching halt. Literally, the entire world came to a screeching halt. Where, do we, where have we seen an event that had such global impact? The, so much it was so powerful and so strong that the human face changed that we got a face covering across the entire world. We're beginning to remove that mask, but we've it, 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 it's it's just unbelievable. And it was literally across in every country and in every place. Even those who felt that they can lock down New Zealand and places like that, that they thought they can kind of avoid the whole thing in the in the end, it caught up with everybody. So we have this mass of COVID that happened. And then two months into COVID, what happens in, Ju in, Ju in June and July of, of that year of 2020? Suddenly the United States goes on fire. We have the, uh, the, the BLM riots. We have the protests. We have the entire country. We have literally the disorder, the social disorder, the disruption, the looting taking place in cities across the United States, everywhere. I'm just, yeah, right behind me is a window. I stood here, Shavuos by night, Matzah Shavuos, this was the end of the holiday of Shavuos, and we were scared, we couldn't go to shul. It was COVID still, so we didn't even have regular shul. We had shul in a backyard. But, and that was what we opened up just for that shul, this was how crazy it was. The first time we were having regular minion was on that holiday Shavuos, and yet, not because of COVID, we couldn't go to shul for the conclusion of the ceremony, for the conclusion of festivities of the end of the holiday, but because we were warned, the protest was taking place right over here, just a few blocks away from me, on Beverly Boulevard. And we heard gunshots, we heard craziness, and the looting that went on right around over here on Melrose, on Fairfax, these streets right over here. I looked out of my window, I watched my neighbor across the street standing outside, literally he was with a gun protecting his own property. And I watch people walking down the street with loot, literally taking stuff from, from the various different stores not far from there. Around the corner from us, the marketplace was busted in, Jewish marketplace with the liquor being taken and the pharmacy and places like this, devastated. The next day I took a drive, it looked literally like a Kristallnacht. It looked like a war zone. People from all across the, I've never seen this. I wasn't in a war zone. I don't, I've seen you know uh, pictures of Kristallnacht literally smashed windows across the entire street. It looked literally like over here in Los Angeles. Who would have thought that? This was one of the earlier riots. And then in New York, everywhere, across the entire... This is, this is like that this happened just two months after. And that, again, we've had many racial tensions, but an eruption like that across the entire country? Unheard of. And then, a couple of months... A couple of months later, we had 
something that shocked us to our core. Magba Omer, a year ago, 33rd day of the Omer, Jews all gather, go to Eretzis, to, to this pilgrim, make a pilgrimage to the great site of Reb Shemim Yochai, the Holy Rajbi. And over there, they're singing and dancing. It's one of the most spiritual places you can possibly go to and experience pure, holy energy. People are dancing and singing and they're connecting to God in such a deep way. It's what's so beautiful. I've always had such a desire to go and be, I've been there only one, twice, I think, on Lag Bomer when I was, before I got married. It was just, it's just spectacular. And every year, like, and one year for COVID, they were shut down, the, the Lag Bomer were shut down the year of COVID. The Maron, the place where the mountain and the, the Galil of Eretz Yisrael. And then last year, it was finally reopened. And remember, I don't know if you were following my classes, I gave so much about the significance of Lagba Omer in last year. How it's three, 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 and it's such an incredible time. And the last thing in my mind would be that it would be such a shakeup, and that's what happened. Suddenly, we started seeing the images. We started seeing the images. We heard that there was some kind of a crush, some kind of maybe people thought it was the bleachers that fell, but it wasn't. It was a narrow area that a lot of people had to go by. Now, let's it doesn't again. It's again. It's it's clearly a divine action because these the, this was there every year, you know, for 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 fifty years already. Th th there's this massive pilgrimage with thousands of people, and there was never ever a problem. The fact I'm not saying it was always safe, but it was never a problem. The fact that just last year, in the midst of all this chaos, this accident happened, but it was a monumental accident because 45 young people. Beautiful Jewish young men of all, mainly young, young, many of them were young boys and, 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 and teenagers, all crushed to death. It was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. And we just couldn't, we couldn't even begin to, 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 to wrap our minds about even what happened. How can one understand that? How can one even, even live with that? It was just too much. It shattered and broke the heart clearly an action from above to shake us to the core and when we finally and then just uh, uh, at that very same time i think a week or two later there was a war in israel there was again the uh, another phase of the gaza war missiles coming into the land uh, thousands of rockets were shot across and not only that this time the arab israelis that till now never made trouble had an uprising and in the various different cities where we thought we had peace people were there were all kinds of uh of of programs literally taking place cars were attacked homes were being looted people uh, uh, lynchings few people were killed it was it was horrible it was literally devastating it's like if, if that were and this is like one of the events that happened that hardly anybody remembers because we had so much more troubling us in the last this is still all in the middle of covid and then just in maybe in july i didn't look up the date what happens in surfside florida out of the blue literally it's like the angel gabriel came down gabriel came down and kicked a building down suddenly out of nowhere a tower comes down a full-fledged tower and it was again it was kept in the new all these events were in ways that we watched in real time there was a picture of it actually happening. You can see it happening. A video of it happening. The buildings coming down. 
And but to me, it's, I mean, it's terrible, any tragedy, human tragedy. But to us, the Jewish people, the fact that it happened in such a Jewish neighborhood, and there were sadly so many in addition to the life, but we know that the Jewish people are the epicenter of, 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 of the world. And the fact that it happened to the Jewish people, to an area of such Jewish populace in Miami, and sadly so many so many humans died in such an incomprehensible way. That is another one of these crazy events. That's exactly what it's describing over here. Decrees are being initiated, things that are happening, things that are originating, which you have not expected, you have not planned before, and they've come up at us out of nowhere. And then finally, finally now, we when we thought we're finally coming out of the COVID situation with after all the lockdowns and everything what are we hit with we suddenly have an invasion and we have a pretty pretty serious situation going on in the world that no one really knows where the outcome is russia is a nuclear power where there is a definitely the world is far more dangerous today than it was three weeks ago we're at the brink God forbid, and should never happen and it will not happen because God will definitely protect the world. But, you know, Putin is, is, is going for Ukraine and, uh, you know, he hasn't ruled out uh, using some of the stuff that we're all hoping and begging and praying that will not be used and will not lead the world into a nuclear confrontation. So to take all these events and bring them together and to argue that the last two years are just business as usual, and it's clear that about two and a half years ago or two years ago was the last time the world was normal. In the last two and a half years, the world is not normal. Now, what to say when as we say it's not normal, now, you've had events like a Holocaust. You've had a, that, that's like major, a one big, massive, horrific event. Here we're talking about many different events that don't seem to be, and they're not related to each other. They're coming from various different things, which God is, which are happening, which is clearly showing us that God is throwing all these things into the mix and he's shaking up the world. And why he's doing it this way, obviously he knows. But one thing what we know is that God is shaking the world. And if God is shaking the world, we need to wake up. But what's our reaction? Panic and fear or, or anticipation for what this is really all about and getting ready so that we're not caught, as we said earlier, in our pajamas. Okay, let's continue what the Talmud says. The Gemara continues and the Gemara says, The actual sabbatical, or not sabbatical, the seven-year period of the coming of the Mashiach, so the Gemara tells us that Shana Rishayna, the first year, now I'm going to read you a series of events that the Talmud says are going to happen in the seven years leading up to the Mashiach. Now I will say clearly, before I read this, I have not, I cannot tell you clearly how every single one of these predictions match exactly what we're seeing. The overall, the overall situation is very, 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 clear that we're talking about the time we're in the the individual details because the talmud is going to give us seven years and it's going to match events that happen in these seven years 
So the and, and the terms of the timeline exactly to do it, I I what I'm seeing in the Talmud is not exactly what happened, but the general gist and the main ideas that are discussed over here in the Talmud are all things that have happened. Now we have to realize that this year is the sabbatical year. This is the Shemitah. This is the conclusion of a seven-year period. Um, so the Talmud says like this. The, 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 the seven-year period that Mashiach comes. The first year will be fulfilled. This, this verse. On one city I will make rain down and on the other city I will not make it rain. Now, to take that in a broader sense, when we talk about prophecies and we talk about predictions in the sages, we, we need to adapt them to modern days. When we say it will rain on one city and it won't rain on another city, it doesn't necessarily only refer to rain. It talks about God's blessing of affluence, prosperity. So it discusses over here a period where there will be an immense, immense, immense amount of blessing in one place, but other places will be lacking everything. The second year, second year, there will be a great famine. As Talmud actually translated literally, it means arrows of famine will be sent to the world. The third year, is a great famine. First year, it's arrows of famine. The third year, it's a great famine. And they die. Men, the Noshim and women, the Tafid children, righteous ones. Pious people and righteous people. The Torah is forgotten from those who study it. But if he is in the fourth year, there is already a return to, um, again, to a, a blessing of food. It's again a time of plenty, but there is a, there is, there, it is and it isn't, the Talmud says. There's plenty and there's not so plenty. But Hamish is in the fifth year, there is a great uh, economic boom. They eat and they drink and people are happy. And the Torah returns to those who study it. On the sixth year, there is sounds. Rashi says it means, I'll read you the Rashi, Rashi says, sounds go out or rumors go out that Mashiach has come. In the seventh year, which would be this year, Muhammad's wars break out in the world. The At the conclusion of the Shemitah, Ben David Ba, that's when the Mashiach arrives. Okay, so I read you a, a seven-year period. It seems like it that there's three years of really down, 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 and three years of up. Besides the sabbatical year itself, which it describes as the seventh year as a time of war. So, the, but the main thing that it did mention, okay, if we look at it in general, is great economic upheaval. This is talking about famine and then great and and then plenty. So, great economic upheaval. The second thing is massive death that takes place that kills men, women, and children. Now, to be to be um, honest with the Talmud, and not to say that I'm making a playing with it, it seems like from the words of the Talmud that the death is a direct influence of the famine, okay? Not from a pandemic, but it does say a death, but it does emphasize that who passes away in this death, and it's saying it's on a global, men, women, children, and a lot of righteous good people. 
And the other thing that it mentions is war. And what else we have over here is rumors that Mashiach has come. So perhaps, again, in terms of economic upheaval in the last couple of years, huge. COVID has made a huge bang. Also, we've seen that in, in the last period of time, I can't say it's exactly seven-year period, we've seen the proliferation of people making like tons and tons of tons of tons and tons of money, crazy amount of money, like individuals. And then many people not, not having, but others like, like the disproportionate like uh, affluence that there is to people that are like crazy wealthy and then others that are suffering. That's what the Talmud seems to be talking about. And that definitely is something we've been seeing. The other thing when it mentions, again, um, a death, plague, uh, we witnessed, again, it doesn't say plague, but it says men, women, and children that are dying, especially that it emphasizes righteous people. Those of you who remember and were looking at the the, the websites, the, the Jewish uh, local websites, whether it's the Vos, I, I look at Vosesnaya, COL, um, Yeshiva News, every day we were watching and we've forgotten like the faces of all those who died from COVID that we've known and such special people. Always it was so many special people. Everybody's special, but so many people that we said, wow, this person as well and this person. Many shuls, the entire, what we call the east side of the shul where the, you know, the respected people stand in the front. They were all the elderly all these people were wiped out from COVID. It was like horrible. And we witnessed that. What else did we see? And it's like we forget it already because we're so, our minds can't hold on to so much horror. So we kind of drop it, and which is good. <laughs> and we, But the fact that especially that so many new things have come. Now, does anybody remember so much Mashiach talk? Go look on YouTube and see, put in Mashiach and see how many talks you have about Mashiach in 2013. 2012, 2013, 14, 15. How many talks are there about Mashiach? You see the dates. And then look how many talks are there about Mashiach in, from 2020 and onward. When the Gemara is saying, Kolos, rumors come out that Mashiach is about to come, or Mashiach is coming. Finally, it says the seventh year will be war, and that's where we stand right now. We're at the brink of what some people are calling the possibility of a third world war. So this is probably, probably, the go it seems very much that we are at this moment. Now when it says, but that night everybody wants to know, so when is Mashiach coming? <laughs> Again, I, I don't know and I can't tell you for sure that the Gemara is referring to this sabbatical year, but it pretty much feels so. And that the, and when the Talmud tells us the Matzah Shemitah, that Mashiach comes at the Matzah Shemitah, so Matzah can mean many things. It can mean next year, God forbid. That means the year 5783, starting in September. That's the Matzah Or it can mean the latter half of this year, which the latter half of this year basically is going to start, I think, pouring. It's going to be like half because it's already the second half of this year. And we don't even have to wait to Purim, but Purim and then for sure the month of Nisan. Definitely already considered Matzah Shemitah. It's, this, it's the latter part of the sabbatical year. And the fact that right before we're coming to the latter half of this year, such a dangerous situation for the world has happened. And whether, you know, we go into a massive war, Hashem, God should protect us. Hashem should protect and He shouldn't have. One of the reasons I, I, I 
yesterday, um, I I looked, you know, I looked at YouTube, see what's what's you know what, what people are saying. I wanted to see. I, I forgot the name of the rabbi. I saw some Sephardic rabbi, or Israeli. I think he's Sephardic, and I happened to click on it. And he said, you know, he's going to talk about the war. And I wanted to hear what people's take is. And, you know, those, I, 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 I generally look from, from a more Hasidic perspective, which is very positive. And I don't, I don't like gloom and doomsday. And I thought this rabbi would give some gloom and doom. And I listened to him. And he said, I'm going to, he says, everybody's saying one thing, but I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> and I said, I'm interested in what he has to say. So I listened, and I was so happy with what he said. I said, wow, this guy's so right. And he was saying that, you know, the Yetzirah is trying to get all the rabbis and all the people to talk about world war and gloom. Why? Because we as Jews, when we say things, we make it happen. So by us saying it, I, I, I had that deep conviction already years ago when I hear sometimes rabbis predicting that the worst things are going to happen. And I want to sometimes message these rabbis and say, don't talk. By you saying that it's going to happen, you're making it happen. <laughs> it shouldn't happen. So there shouldn't be, it should be the scare itself should be enough. It's not, and especially now that it's not just a scare. <laughs> Talking about today, they're saying already 2 million refugees. Well, the horror that has been going on. And there's been enough carnage and there's enough death. We've already been fulfilled. If it needs to be war, let it be that we fulfilled already Mohammed's. We've gotten it already. We don't have to, this war doesn't have to expand. But even let's leave the war on the side. Take a look at the economic hardship. Take a look, my wife, at, at, at where my wife just told me that she went to the cheapest gas station here in Los Angeles, filled up the car, and she was paying already $5.50 per gallon. It's already the line. We know it is one gas station that we go to that's lower than everyone else. That means we're paying $6 already. That's crazy. And the cost of, of, of wheat and the cost of flour, the cost, who knows what's going on. So the, the tension, what's happening now is like unheard of. This, the world is literally spiraling out of control. But really, let's take this back. It didn't start just with COVID. All this madness and this craziness really started at the beginning of the seven-year period. When did I start getting all excited about Mashiach? Now, I'm just me, but when, did I, when it happened in the year 5775, in 2015, 2015, I came across a teaching from Rishnir Zalman of Liyadi, the, ba the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, in which he, not clearly, but seems to make a prediction that, 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 that the 2015 is the Mashiach case, the time of redemption. And um, that's like the end time. That's the amount of the time of when Golos, years of the exile. So I got all excited about that, and I was sharing it with everybody. Then 2015 passed, and the Gula did not come. Um, and so then I was able to interpret it that really 2015 is the end of the exile, but 2016 is when the Giola is supposed to come. It didn't happen. And so and then a certain while I was feeling like, okay, just shut your mouth and don't talk anymore because you're wrong. <laughs> but when I, when I, when I, the more I'm thinking about it, and I mentioned this in earlier classes, I'm not wrong. We're talking about a process. We're not talking about a, a one event. We're talking about an unfolding of events. Mashiach is compared to a birth. A birth doesn't just happen with one, with one, oh, baby is born. There is a pregnancy and the pregnancy goes into the ninth month. And in the ninth month, the baby starts moving and shifting and starts getting lower and lower and starts changing its position. And the woman goes to the doctor and the doctor takes, uh, does the various different uh, tests and various different uh, whatever 
and is able to see if the baby is ready to come out. And the woman starts to go through her contractions and the, and, and the contractions are the sign of, of the birth. Now, um, I told my congregation, my shul, the Shabbos, um, a, uh, something. Well, before we get to that, um, so from 2015, 2016, this whole idea that the world started to get into an unpredictable state actually happened. In other words, until 2015, 2016, kind of the world, there was some kind of way of being able to predict what's going to happen on the geopolitical scale. On the, like there was some kind of be able to kind of expect it makes sense, you know, that George Bush might be a candidate, might win. Uh, Barack Obama might win the, the thing. These things were kind of, you, they, they weren't coming out of left field. They weren't impossible to believe that this thing was going to happen. But in 2016, when Donald Trump won and became the president of the United States, that was an impossibility. Everybody laughed at it. Everybody thought it was so lunacy. It cannot be. He's not a politician. He's, he's uh, people thought, you know, he's a total, people thought he's a total lunatic. And, 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 and he did become president. And through him, God moved many things in this world that were unbelievably messianic. The biggest of them is that he moved the capital of, of he declared Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people. That is monumental. That is cosmic. And then he declared the Golan Heights part of Israel. That was huge. How about the fact that he brought about the Abraham Accords? <laughs> you, know, I, you, you know that I was a pretty big Trump fan. And I don't like to talk about it because people get so people look at that are so anti-Trump. They get they can't hear. They get so crazy. And I'm not a Trump fan because I love Mr. Trump. I love that. I love. I just love that the things that were happening under his domain. I was able to talk about Mashiach through positivity and not have to talk about negative. We we're able to point about the killing of Soleimani, the massive Jew hater, the pulling out of the Iran deal, which was a threat at any moment that 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 they would allow for Iran to have nuclear and this stupidity that's going on now in the midst of this war they're about to announce that they're planning to go back into this ridiculous idea uh, um, 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 deal with Iran it's, it's, it's so mind-blowing how stupid people can be but in any case um, the, 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 the release of uh, Rubashkin that we thought God forbid was going to uh, spend 27 years in agonizing suffering a representative that represented the Jewish people um, the release of him suddenly, Jeruz uh, the, the announcement of Jerusalem, they go on the heights. But how about the Abraham Accords? Think about it, like because I'm thinking like those those were the days, the days of Donald Trump, in which like God was doing things that was so fantastically amazing <laughs> and, so, and messianic, but messianic in a way that it identified in the good side of Mashiach. Again. If you can forget about the messenger, you don't like the messenger. He sends means tweets. He was uh, whatever you, you don't like about him. Okay, fine. Let's just get past that. But amazing things that were so powerfully Moshiach were taking place in the world in a good way, in a positive way. Peace was breaking out of the whole world. But we have to get rid of him because he's the total bad guy. Instead, we change things around and look at now. <laughs> Now we're our our prices, everything is shooting up. We're about to enter, God forbid, into this massive war, and who knows? And the world is so unstable, and so on and so forth. But what am I bringing out with this? Just one point: the idea that from 
2015 until from 2016 and on, which corresponds to the year Tashin Ayin Vav, the beginning of this sabbatical. These seven years is when we are watching, and the opposite also, when Trump lost and and our current president, Joe Biden, became the president. That was also seeming, um, again, I don't even know, that it's also something out of not normal. Not normal because who could have ever believed that, you know, <laughs> uh, that Joe Biden would be president of the United States. It's it obviously, and uh, it's not, it wasn't, it's, it's clearly that God put him there now for whatever reason that God is, now going to see through the final Mashiach entry into the world, I believe, you know, right now. And for whatever reason, he was the one that needed to be in, in, in office at this time. What we are watching is Hashem is clearly the one directing all these events during this time. Now, I mentioned earlier what I said to my congregation in, in Shul this past Shabbos. There was an ancient story. And that is, the story is as old as the universe. They tell the story of the kid, of the of the young boy, who uh, was a shepherd, and they put and he would come running down, and he came down to the village one day, and he yelled that the wolf is coming, and the people in the village all got ready. They ran. They they closed their barns. They took the livestock and brought them into the house, the little sheep and the little goats and the little hens and chicks. Because the wolf was coming. They armed themselves. If they're going to see the wolf, they're going to shoot their arrows or shoot or shoot him, whatever. Got their rifles ready. And meanwhile, the wolf didn't come. And then a few days later, again, the boy cries wolf. And again, the wolf didn't come. And so it happens three times. It happens four times. It happens by the time it's coming around the seventh time, the kid is screaming, wolf, no one budges. They're not, no one is, uh, everybody's business as usual. Everybody continues doing their things. No one even hears his cries. He's like a howling, he's a howling wolf, but no one is paying attention. And, uh, and that was for real. The wolf really came and it caught everybody by surprise. So I asked the people in the shul, why is the story told about a wolf? Why not the tiger? Why not a leopard? Why not a cheetah? Why not another a bear, a lion? It could be many other animals. Why is it the story told about the wolf? So I, this was very meaningful to the people in my shul because they hear me every Shabbos and every Shabbos I nonstop, especially the last seven years, I'm saying Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Every event that's happening, I'm pointing to Mashiach. So because they and. And, and and so maybe the story is, uh, at least in as much as it relates to me, that there's this wolf who's going to cry. So someone told me the funny thing. After I said this Shabbos and Shul, someone comes to me the next day and he shows me, he, sh he sent me a, a WhatsApp of, of a few years, of two years ago, that he sent jokingly to other people in the Shul. He says, I want to make a children's book called The Boy Who Cried Out Rabbi Wolf. And that Rabbi Wolf, that saying that Mashiach is coming and Mashiach didn't come and he didn't come and he didn't come. So in a sense, you lose your credibility. You lose your credibility. You know, how many times can you say Mashiach is coming and then it didn't come? So on what basis am I saying what I am saying to you now? What's my basis for it? If, if, um, 
if I if seem to have said all along, Mashiach is coming. So that's why I'd like to take you all back to the, the what, what to what I said earlier. Mashiach's coming is not one simple event. Mashiach is a process. If Mashiach was a divine intervention with the world, and maybe it would this divine intervention would be preceded by, you know, with some kind of a sign. And, and then I would have gotten it wrong, and I would call the signs early, this event and that. I, then, you know, you try two, three times, and, 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 and you misled everybody, then forget about it. You're, you're done. No one wants to hear from you anymore. But in this case, it's very different. It's very different because Mashiach's coming is compared to a birth. And in a birth, there is progress. And especially there is progress at the actual birthing where the, where the, where the um, pains of birth, where the, where the uh, contra uh, contractions are happening. With my own children, um, I happen to be a person who um, I'm very much terrified of having to deliver a baby. It's not one of my skills and anything that has to do anything with any kind of, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm the guy, today we had a Brit up in our shul. Um, I'm the guy who stands like, you know, the other end of the shul because I can't see anything that has to do with blood or like that. It's not, uh, not for me. So the, the, the notion of maybe being the one who has to deliver a baby, no, 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 no. So every time my wife would have the beginning of any labor, I would immediately, you know, <laughs> drag her in the car and off we go to the hospital like every i think it was by every single one of my kids they sent me home from the hospital because they always arrived too early and maybe by one of them or two twice they sent me home more than once so i'm very much into early alertness i get excited right away the first signs of a baby being born i get excited already um so what did the doctors tell me always? What did the nurses tell me at Cedar Sinai or New York Cornell Hospital where my first kids were born? What do they always tell me? They would say, listen here, calm down, calm down. You don't have to come to the hospital yet. When the contractions are coming very, very fast, one after another, every two minutes apart, and they're very intense, then you know that it's for real. And then you know it's time for a mazel tov. So that's the way... It is, and that's regarding Mashiach as well. Mashiach's coming to the world is introduced not in one shot. It's a birth, and it comes with contractions. And when the contractions are coming very, very quickly, one after another, we are basically there. So as I mentioned over here, in the last two years, and with all that we've seen that are all unexplainable, is only leading us to one conclusion. And the conclusion is, in the words of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Ot, Ot, Kunt, Mashiach. Mashiach is about, about, about to come. Now, one might still be a skeptic and say, you know, what really, really, really is the basis for this? Jews have always thought, and Jews have gone through many calamities and many troubles and many hard times. What really is your found foundation of belief to declare with absolute certainty that Mashiach is about to come? I'm going to say that everything that I can point to, the signs are nice, but that's not really my conviction. That's only what gets me excited right now. But the fundamental conviction that the Geula is here is based by me on one thing and one thing only. And that is that in 1990, 1991, 1992, 32 years ago, 30 years ago, 
And I believe that this is something that has not been said loud enough, strong enough. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe told his Hasidim, all of his emissaries and all of his people, to go and bring the message to the entire world that the time of redemption has arrived. And I mentioned this many times, and I will say it even louder now. The Rebbe said that he's saying this not as a analyst, not as a spiritual analyst who's giving his analysis. The Rebbe says, I am saying this as a prophecy. That means, for those of you who believe the Rebbe is a tzaddik, I am certain he is a righteous, holy Jew, and I know he wouldn't lie, especially not in something like this to claim prophecy if he's not a prophet. It means that the Rebbe is saying that I am speaking the word of God, and God sent me to tell you and to tell the world that the Mashiach is about to come. Now, the Rebbe continued, the Rebbe said some many other things. The Rebbe said that, you know, Mashiach is coming now. It's not because it's an auspicious time. Because many people believe that the Rebbe was so excited about Mashiach and he for sure saw Mashiach was so close. But because we weren't worthy, then the Rebbe passed, passed away and we lost it. And now we're back to the pre-Messianic state that we need a new Zuchus to bring Mashiach. And sadly, many people are so heartbroken by it. They're like, when you talk to them that Mashiach is about to come, they're like, they sigh and they say, I heard it so many times. Maybe, I hope so, and so on but not with that confidence and that excitement. And that's what I want to negate today. The Rebbe did not speak like any other Jewish leader before him. All the other leaders that spoke about auspicious times and special times for the Giyula, all those other leaders were basing on an idea called a Kates. A Kates means a auspicious time that's in the universe, in which there is a great possibility for Mashiach to come. And if we activate that energy through tshuva, through repentance, and so on and so forth, we can stimulate that segula, that special, you know, uh, omen, or what you might say, something special that's within the time itself, that we can stimulate the redemption. That time is more susceptible to our tshuva, that it should bring, bring the redemption. That's what they were talking about. The Rebbe didn't say that. The Rebbe spoke, in addition to prophecy, the Rebbe also gave us a progress report. The Rebbe was looked at the world and as the leader of the generation said, I see the sparks of holiness and I can tell you that we have completed elevating the sparks. So the Rebbe didn't say the words, I see the sparks of holiness. But the Rebbe said that we completed elevating the sparks of holiness. No one ever said that before the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Not the Holy Ari, not the Baal Shem Tov, not Rabbi Nachman, not the Alter Rebbe, not any, because it wasn't true. They didn't, at, in those times, they didn't finish elevating the sparks. By the way, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was the one who lifted in terms of if you talk about sparks of holiness sparks of holiness are scattered around the universe are scattered around the world which person did more to bring judaism across the entire world more than the rebbe no one so the rebbe sent out his thousands of shluchim across the entire world to bring judaism and torah and mitzvot to every corner every city every town everywhere there's judaism flourishing all over because of the rebbe and that helped in elevating the sparks. But the Rebbe announced that the sparks have been elevated. The Rebbe also announced that the tshuva has been done already. And all the Torah and mitzvot that we need to bring about the herald in the Geula has already been accomplished. And therefore the work has been done and the Geula has to happen. And that he's telling us as a prophecy that Moshiach is about to come. Now it's 30 years later and we did not yet see the complete redemption. But one thing is for sure. Everything that has happened in the last 30 years, 
all the events that have happened, all the global events, for instance, 9-11, and other major things that have taken place that have shooken the world and have kind of moved the world into a different phase. Not just the, you know, we talk about the, the negative, but we should really talk about the positive, the explosion of the internet and so on and so forth, uh, information age, so many other, other things. We can go on and on and on, but we've spoken about many of them in different classes. All these things are directly related to and to a certain degree part of the unfolding of the redemption. That means once the redemption is already, the redemption process is in motion, it can be dragged out slowly, it can go faster, depending on our readiness. And so that based on that assurance from the Rebbe, I say with 100% unequivocal, without even a shadow of a doubt, I don't have the slightest doubt, that what we are watching now is the heralding in of the redemption. How, how God is moving these last chess pieces, I don't know. But I do know, based on what the Talmud says, that we're there, and this is what's happening. If that's the case, that should decide our response to these events that are happening. How are we supposed to react? Should we be heartbroken? Should we cringe in fear? Which happens sometimes when we sit and watch the news all day. We start fought, we start feeling terrible for the world. And we watch the COVID and we watch the lockdowns and we watch taking away of various different freedoms of people. Whether you're for it, whether you're against it, everybody's got such intense opinions over here and so on and so forth. But you can really become, your heart can become so, so broken and so you can fall into such darkness and such despair of seeing a world that is in so much pain so much suffering so much darkness or we can realize it's like i would give the example when a man is taking his wife into the hospital and she's having her baby let's say it's their first child the woman is in such pain if she's you know she's already intensely in labor that she can't even think but the man, the husband, so what does he feel? On the one hand, he, it, it hurts him deeply that his wife is going through this suffering. On the other hand, his heart is awaiting with such, in a sense, breathless anticipation for the moment that he will be a father and his wife will be a mother and they will be parents to a brand new child. And their life will be enriched forever with this beautiful child who will eventually bring them more generations and offspring forever and ever. What greater excitement, what greater moment in life when you get to hold your fresh, new, little baby. And as much as that is true about every child being born, how much to do about the child we've all been waiting for, the fruits of all of our labor, Moshiach himself that is revealed in the world. So as we're going through these hardships, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But at the same time, we should be excited. We should be really happy that the goal is coming. We should pray and pray and get excited. And we should tell our children how fortunate and how lucky they are to be living in this time because it will be them and us as well who will dance this endless dance when Mashiach will come. We will, we will experience the, 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 the joy that is indescribable that will burst forth for the entire Jewish people but for all of humanity. The world will be in such happiness and such joy we will merit to walk into the house of God. 
that has been, been prepared for thousands of years in the Jerusalem uh, uh, hilltop in Jerusalem. We're going to walk in the base of English. We're going to watch the resurrection. We are going to see the earlier generations. We're going to see Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shmuel, Anavi, Eliyahu, Anavi, Rebbe Yakiva, Reb Shemel, Bayochai, all the tzaddikim, the Balshemto, the Arizal, all the tzaddikim, and most of all, we are going to see the glowing face of Mashiach Tzadkano. We're going to hear Torah from his mouth. We are going to experience the greatest enlightenment. We are going to experience endless pleasure and joy. And we will watch a world suddenly find such meaning and purpose, such love and such connection. This is where we should start putting our head. This is what we should tell our children. And this is what we should tell ourselves. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But our main focus is needs to be the greatness of who of, of, of the time that we're in, how awesome it is, how incredible it is. So now I'd like to conclude by sharing with you a little bit more possibility of why exactly this war right now and how is this um, relating to the final moments before the coming of Mashiach. One of the things that bothered me very, very much at the beginning of this war, other than a war itself, but and the suffering that comes along with it. One of the things that really bothered me is because I was thinking this war ought not to be. Yes, on the one hand, it says that the coming of Mashiach is supposed to be introduced by a great war of Gog and Magog. But we know that the tzaddikim and the great rabbis have always said that it doesn't have to be. And it could be that the suffering that we've had in the past have already avoided that great war. And let's still hope that that's the case. But why, why was it so so um, unacceptable. And that's because one of the things that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said in 1992, in the winter of 1992, there was a great meeting between the leaders of the world of the United States, that was George Bush Sr. and Boris Yeltsin. At that time, this is after Gorbachev, Boris Yeltsin, but before Putin. And um, the, 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 the French, the British, German, uh, I'm not sure China was there as well. I'm not exactly sure. They all came to New York City and they signed a nuclear, uh, what was it called? A uh, proliferation agreement in which were they going to denuke, they're going to disarm and major, major nuclear arms and various different things are going to be diminished and instead they're going to use the monies that are going to be freed up by not having to be in this competitive um, war, the Cold War. They're going to use those monies for humanitarian purposes. And the Rebbe therefore was said that this is the beginning of the influence of Mashiach in this world. Mashiach Zedkenu is already in the world, the Rebbe said. Mashiach is already here. Not only is he here, he's already revealed and he's already active. And because Mashiach is here, he is already, God is influencing because of the influence through Mashiach and because of the influence of Mashiach that one of the great prophecies that are going to be in the coming at the time of the redemption is that the nations of the world are going to take, it's a, it's a pasuk in Isaiah over here, and you will take your swords and you will chop them down into plowshares. 
and your spears, lamazmeira is the pruning, pruning, uh, farming types of things, the pruning uh, tools. A nation will not raise a sword against each other. They will not teach war one for another. In other words, it will, uh, Mashiach will usher in a time of prosperity. So the Rebbe says that's the big, what we're watching is the beginning of the fulfillment of that. And that's the first time in history when nations, which were told now at each other's throats, are getting together and demilitarizing. And the Rebbe says, because Mashiach is in New York, and and um, so therefore it's taking place. This meeting is taking, the UN is in New York, and on the UN building they have this engraved on the wall, and so on and so forth. This is what the Rebbe said in then. If that's the case, how can it be when we're looking 30 years later and suddenly the drums of war are, 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 are beating again? And again, we're talking about nuclear war. And we're talking about the possibility of power grab and so on and so forth, which is total opposite of what it should be. So this is what was bothering me. And I don't have the full answer. But one of the things which I think is, is very much part of it, and that is the Rebbe in that talk says something very interesting, very clear. He says that that influence is the influence of Mashiach Tzedkenu himself. That means that it's not, see, certain things we as the Mashiach is our center of our soul. We as all the Jewish people were offshoots of Mashiach's soul. So by us, we can influence certain things in the world. Well, we know that we, we bring Mashiach all together, all the acts of collective acts of goodness and kindness. But the Rebbe says in the talk, no, the actual um, um, reigning in rogue leaders and taking various different people, powers in the world that might want to misbehave and 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 and, 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 and wage war in order to rein them in that they should live in peace and harmony. Who has to do that? Moshiach Tzedkenu himself. Moshiach is the one that forces or imposes upon the nations to change their ways which they've been doing for thousands of all of history to go on a new course. Now, if you watch that talk, the Rebbe never said that Moshiach completed the job. He said Moshiach started. Okay. But the Rebbe brings this pasuk, the Shafat Beinagoyim. It says about Mashiach himself, he will rule amongst the nations. So in that talk, the Rebbe points to the Radak. Radak is a is a is a commentary on 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 the Navi, Reb David Kamchi, and he says the Shafat to Melech Mashiach. Who is the Shafat? Mashiach is the one, and. If there will be a, a war amongst nations, or various different arguments, they're going to come to resolve it in front of Mashiach. That he's going to be the master of all the nations. And he will rebuke them. And Mashiach will say to the one that he finds amongst him being um, being um, that he that he's doing something uh, wrong, that he is uh, misbehaving, he will tell him, "Yasher, straighten up, straighten up your your ma'avel, your uh, your misdeeds." So, 
since Moshiach Tzadkenu is the one who is ultimately going to reign in the nations, so the setting which happens right before Mashiach comes is a setting that calls for, it needs to be resolved through the Melech HaMashiach. See, what we've, until now, one of, the, one of the things that seems to be happening right before Mashiach comes is that, see, when Mashiach will come, Mashiach will be accepted as the ruler of all of humanity. He will be seen as the as a human being inspired by with divinity, with divine. He will have infinite goodness and kindness, but most of all, infinite and boundless wisdom. He will be the channel for God into this world. And at that time, God's empire, the entire world will be Hashem's kingdom. And, 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 and therefore, all of humanity will live together in peace and harmony and in worship and in service of their one creator. Mashiach is that central figure. But God has been waiting for thousands of years. He, God is not does not want to be a a a um, a tyrant type of a ruler. God does not want to be a uh, what is it called when you have a um, a a, uh, a dictator. God wants to be a king. A king is someone that his people accept him willfully, happily. That means that Moshiach, who's representing God's kingdom in this world must be accepted willfully by the people. The people have to get excited and with open arms say, we want you to, you to lead us. And that will only happen when the people have given up on any other system. And that's what we're seeing right now is happening in the last couple of years. Since COVID broke out, we have basically realized that there is nobody that we can rely on. We mistrust everybody. When it comes to everything, the United States and NATO were supposed to be the protector of everybody. And no one can mess and there can never be another because the NATO will come to its rescue. That's what we promised Ukraine, actually. We told them to disarm, give up their, their nukes, give up the thing, and we will protect them. And in the end, no one is lifting a finger. And Russia seems to be doing whatever they want. So who relies on NATO anymore? Who's going to trust it? Is there anybody for stability, for world stability? Are we relying on, on the United States, someone we can rely on? Is a promise of the United States, does it mean anything to anybody militarily? How about the medical um, experts? Do people trust the medical experts? Or do we find out that, um, that, that in so many different ways, in so many aspects of COVID, we've been lied to? So when it comes to medicine, when it comes to when it comes to um, when it comes to our health, when it comes to our our well-being, when it comes to our safety and security, who do we rely on? We look around and we see personal agendas. We see enormous corruption. Do we know we have Joe Biden now leading a war with Ukraine, with Russia and Ukraine, or or you know, kind of become the world leader who's like the big guy? And just before this, you know. With this, we you know with his with his with Hunter Biden stuff been going on in Ukraine. What's going on? Do we really know the real story? Does anybody know the real story? I don't know the real story. And if you say anything, then you're a conspiracist, right? But we all are today have all kinds of conspiracy theories because no one we don't trust anybody anymore. Who's telling us the truth? The world has gone into a state of such mistrust, and we've seen such corruption across the world on all levels. So at this moment, the world. It's clear, it's, 
when everything else falls and when every other system fails us, when the world will see its true leader, the world will embrace Moshiach with such fervor and excitement and want to submit to his leadership and his kingship. And that is what we're witnessing right now. Seems like. Now the timing couldn't have been better. Um, in Nisan, this coming in a month from now, in the month of Nisan, is going to be a very special day, in addition to it being the month of redemption. It's the birthday of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it's going to be his 120th birthday. And uh, in, amongst Chabad Hasidim, there's great excitement. Um, I was always excited about this birthday more than others because 120 years is very, very significant. 120 is the years of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu lived till 120. So and we, when we bless people, we say, you know, we bless someone to, for life to 120. What is so significant? It's significant because the redemption is related to Moshe Rabbeinu. The power of the redemption is the power of Moshe. The sages tell us Moshe is the first redeemer and Moshe is the final redeemer. It does not mean that Moshe physically can be the final redeemer because Moshe is from the wrong tribe. In order to be the redeemer, you have to come from King David. You have to come from the tribe of Yehuda. Moshe is not from the tribe. It means spiritually Moshe's energy, Moshe's neshama is hooked up with Moshiach's soul. But Moshe is the only one who can activate redemption. Now Moshe's redemption comes in two phases. His first phase of redemption happened in his first incarnation in Moshe's body. And that he fulfilled his obligation from, when, from, from the year 80 until he was 120. For 40 years, he was the leader of the Jewish people. When he reached the age of 120, God said, stop, this is your first phase, and now you're going to pass that way. And Moshe's, and Moshe's holy soul went up to heaven. Moshe's neshama has to come back down and imbue, be imbued in Moshiach's neshama to activate the redemption. So when the Lubavitcher Rebbe becomes 120, to me, it's a continuation of Moshe's life. And it becomes at exactly at that point is when he needs to continue and bring about the second phase of the redemption. And therefore, for me, the fact that it's literally the timing is taking place before the Rebbe's 120th birthday is huge. It's huge. There's interesting in the, 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 the minog is, the custom is that we say, um, um, there's a, 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 a custom started by the Balshemto. And we should say the Psalm of Tehillim, the Perik of Tehillim that is, relates to our age. So, whatever age we are, if, uh, you know, if someone is, I'm now 50, so I say Psalm 51 every day. I try to. But as a chassid, we say not only our psalm, we also say the Rebbe's psalm. The Rebbe's psalm, we've been saying Psalm 120, and now we're preparing to start saying Psalm 121. What is Psalm 121? So first of all, it's exciting. Because from Perek Kufchaf, which is Psalm 120, if, you, if you're familiar with Psalms, it speaks about there's 15 Psalms beginning with Shir Hamalos. It's the song on the steps. And the reason why it's called Shir Hamalos is because there were 15 steps going up to the temple. 
So I remember saying, when we started saying the Rebbe's Shir Hamalas last year, we started saying it. I said, okay, now it's because we're starting to walk up the steps of the temple. We are now already at the threshold of the redemption. We're starting to walk up the steps of the temple. So we started last year with 120. This time is 121. In 121, it describes a situation when the world will be in chaos and the world doesn't know what to do. We're starting to say it in a month and a few days. It says over there, Shira Mahalois, I lift my eyes up to the mountain. Where is my help coming from? In other words, you're looking at a world that doesn't know what to do, a world that's running back and forth and saying, Gvald, God, protect. Where should we run? Where should we hide? We all understand if war goes further than what it is, we're in a situation where we don't know where to go. This is really, really scary stuff. Where will my help come? But God answers, as you may Hashem, help comes from God. But there's another interpretation, not interpretation, there's a remez, there's something hidden over here that Hasidim have always said. Shidamalis, especially for this year, we're starting this verse on Yud Aleph Nisan. Yud Aleph Nisan is the 11th day of Nisan. The acronym is Yud Aleph Nisan, is the word Ayin. Nun Aleph Yud, or Ayin is Aleph Yud Nun, from nothingness, which is the power for where Mashiach takes its energy. Yud Aleph Nisan, the Rebbe's birthday. May Ayin on Yud Aleph Nisan, or from Yud Aleph, Yavah Yezri, from there my help comes. May Ayin Yavah Yezri. Not from where does my help come. May I, from your Aleph Nisan, my help will come. And that leads me to the conclusion of this year's, of this year's chapter, because I believe that everything that happens to the Jewish people is hinted to, at any given year, is hinted to in the chapter of the leader of the generation, because he's the soul of all souls. And therefore, in his chapter that we say for his year is hinted to in songs at all the events that are going to happen that year. So if you go through it carefully, you'll find you can find many things that have happened in the past year. And this is chapter 121. And it says over there. I'm sorry, 120, this this past year. The last words. Ani Sholem, I am I, I, I am ready for peace and I speak peace. When I speak peace, they are interested in war. And to me, when I saw this, I said, oh, hold it. This is the last verse in, in the chapter associated with the Rebbe for this year. So I'm saying to myself, hey, the Rebbe said 30 years ago, Ani Sholem, I am calling for peace. The Rebbe was calling to the nations. And he said, I demand of you to, de de to demilitarize, to take down your, and stop your behavior for thousands of years of war. And I'm coming to you with a messianic power, and I'm telling you to stop making war. And in the capital, King David says that, Ani Sholem, I come for peace. They're still interested in war. And when did this appear? In the verse, 30 years later, when we're saying the Rebbe's capital, Kuf that's where it says, I am for peace, but they're talking for war. So I said, hold it. If this is the case, maybe it's so accurate. And I counted how many verses are there in this chapter. I see there are seven verses. So I said, oh, it's possible. Again, I don't know this for sure, but this is just an interesting thought that occurred to me. Seven verses. 
That means each verse is referring to a certain part of the year. When we were saying this, so from the 11th day of Nisan in the year 5781 to the 11th day of Nisan in 5782. So when you count how many days are there in that year, usually a, a Hebrew year has 355 days, right? 354 days, the moon, the lunar year. But this year we have a extra month of Ador. So we, it becomes not, uh, it's, it's, so the amount of days there are is 385. 385 divided by seven, if my calculator was correct, equals 55. That means each verse is 55 days. So the last verse, that I'm speaking peace, but they're coming for war. So I said, oh, okay. When did this Ukrainian crisis start? Ukrainian-Russian crisis? So I counted how many days are there left until Yud Aleph Nisan from when it happened. So it, it happened on February 24th was when the war broke up. Thursday morning, Putin's uh, army rolled into Ukraine. 5 a.m., I think, or something like that. February 20th, that's 49 days before Yud Aleph Nisan. So it's within the 55 days. But I said, hey, it's got to be a little more accurate. It's not good enough for me that it's 49. It's almost there. So I said, okay, which day is the day that is 55 days that, we, that this verse corresponds to? Again, it's my own guessing. I can't say that I know for sure this is it, but it hit to me. Let me, let me see. So February 17th is 55 days before Yudalov's Nisan. Okay. So I looked on Google what happened. I wrote Ukrainian-Russian war February 17th. It brings me the news stories. So the news story that happened on that day was that the United States had sent Russia a, an answer. Russia was demanding something. I think they, they're demanding that the United States stop pulling Ukraine or stop a lot. They shouldn't allow Ukraine into NATO because Putin is saying, I don't need NATO's missiles right, right pointing at me. So um, the United States had sent Russia back a response to its demands. On February 5th, 17th is when the Russians rejected the United States' response and said that your response is not adequate and therefore basically, you know, I'm not accepting what you're offering or, or your peace. Basically, your last choice that you're asking me for peace has failed because I'm not interested because you, it, it's not sufficient enough. So what does the verse say? Anisholam, I'm extending peace. But you're still coming for war. So in the verse, we're seeing that this is a war that is pre-Mashiach. But to me, it seems like that this is just setting the stage. Right now, we have chaos. The world is a total mess. The world has kind of fully collapsed on every level. The world is so messed up. And we have right now, in the midst of all this debris, in the midst of all this chaos, the divine entry of Mashiach Tzedkenu, who is going to bring the world back and rebuild the world based on trust, on truth. We will have a leader that all of humanity will see is real, true, selfless, utterly selfless, has no self-interest, and we will all trust and all be willing to follow what he will teach and what he will guide and lead humanity to unprecedented levels of prosperity and growth and greatness and closeness to Hashem. So right now, after we've seen all of this, what is our response back to our response? We have to keep our minds in positivity. We cannot fall into negativity. 
We can't just see be news chasers all day long and read all the stories and become upset and angry and 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 down and nervous and and anxiety. Those are opposites of Mashiach. I, I, I want to add one more thought before I explain this last thing. Another point. You know, the, when the Rambam describes the days of Mashiach, the Rambam describes a time that Mashiach was going to be a time of enormous prosperity. The Rambam, the words of the Rambam, all the goodies are going to be available to everybody. There's going to be such abundance. Also, there'll be a time of peace, no more war. Also, there won't be any, the Rambam doesn't say this, but we know it from other places, there won't be any illness and there won't be any death. There's a verse that says God will remove death from the world. And obviously, people will be free to be able to be themselves. Your true self, your higher godly self. These are kind of four things, major things that are going to happen when Mashiach comes. It's going to be Geul, it's going to be redemption. What do we see in the last two years happen? <clears throat> we saw total opposite of this. We saw death like we haven't seen before. We've seen war now breaking out in a very, very threatening way, which is possible, God forbid, shouldn't happen be, to be a global war. We're seeing many countries, and we're seeing that, that, that in a sense, the, you know, prices are shooting up, and it's making it difficult for many people to get their basic needs which is the opposite of the accessibility of all of all delicacies, everything being so available. We've also watched entire societies and communities being held into lockdown with all kinds of, of restrictions being put on people. Even the restriction of being able to show your face, even that was shut down. Lockdowns in your home, lockdowns and constrictions, and you can't come here, you can't go here, and we're telling you that you have to vaccinate, and you have to this, and you have to that. We're imposing our will on you. These are all things, these are opposite of the messianic age. So how can it be? And the answer is, once these elements, uh, Mashiach is, is going to be the contrast to that. But more than that, since death is going to disappear forever, so death does its last dance. The angel of death, right before he will be wiped away forever, did his last dance with COVID. War has now you know, um, reappeared for its last manifestation and it will be gone forever. Poverty and hardship has also um, reasserted itself before it will disappear forever. And constriction and imprisonment and limitations have also been, you know, um, presented itself or presents itself for the last and final time. Because these elements will be so removed and so gone. And lies, which will also be removed because the world, world will be a world of truth. We've seen an onslaught of lies like we've never seen before. Now it's over. All these things are dying. All these things are disappearing. And the gu'ula and the light and the blessing and the goodness is coming. As a result of that, what needs to be our response? Our response needs to be positivity, goodness, and holiness, and godliness. My wife, may she be well, she's actually here in the room right now while I'm talking, sent me today a WhatsApp from a person that very special. 
Um, her name is Ray Shigalov, and she is a pretty much a student of mine. She writes down many of my classes. She she has this thing. You can look up her her website. It's called Holy Sparks. Holysparks.com. She has many classes, and she is very talented. She has this calligraphy, a way of writing things down. She's an incredible, special, great woman. And she wrote a list of 42 things you can do, 42 things you can do, positive, to help bring the Giyuba. I'm not going to read you this whole list, but I'm just giving you Avas Yisrael, which is behave with love to another Jew. What is that, Mashiach? Because when Mashiach comes, we will love each other so much because we will suddenly feel we're one soul. So let's start behaving that way. Um, give tzedakah, right? That's Mashiach's world. We're not selfish anymore. We share whatever we can with each other. Emunah bitachan, have faith. Strengthen our bitachan. Practice active faith and trust in God. Uh, do an act of kindness. Host a fabrenian. Make a, a a holy gathering where people say l'chaim and we and we and we and we and we strengthen each other. Say tehillim. Say psalms. Learn extra Torah. Pray. Stay calm, focus on, on your efforts, uh, stay pure. You know, uh, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe once came to a city, to town, and um, the people didn't want to say the Tachlan. Tachlan are special supplications, which you add every day during prayer, but when a special occasion happens, you can admit it. So they didn't say the Tachlan, and the previous Rebbe asked, why are you not saying Tachlan? They said, because the Rebbe is here. So for us, it's a happy time, because the Rebbe came. So the Rebbe, the Ulfridic Rebbe answered, when the Rebbe is here, it's not a reason not to say Tachnun, it's a reason not to sin. So we think about, we're preparing for Mashiach, let's make sure that we're pure, we're not sinning, we are more tuned in, we're watching what we're looking at, we're watching our thoughts. We want to be ready, because Mashiach can come any second. We want to be in a state of purity. Keep kosher. If we haven't been keeping kosher so well till now, start being more careful with what we eat. So then it's also a state of purity. Buy Jewish holy books. Put on to fill in a, put on to fill in with other people. Meditate. Speak positive words. Light Shabbos candles. Oh, a bunch of things. These are all good things to do. And more than anything, let's be joyous. Let's be happy. Let's live with positivity and with and with joy and excitement. Because as Hashem, any moment and any second, Moshiach could appear and will appear. And as Hashem, we will see the third temple and we will celebrate forever and ever. Thank you.